John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. Accessed entry 467.ec0306. Certificate number 23621. Fiji's Declaration of Independence. Do you know where your birth certificate is? Like if, if you had to show your birth certificate for something, which I don't know why you would. I mean, clearly you exist. I can access it. It is not, I don't have it on my person or in a file cabinet nearby. But, but you, you know which giant plastic tub it's in? Yeah, I can, I can find my birth certificate. Yeah, and I've is, seen it. Is it the original one? Yeah. It's issued by the... By the state. By the great state of Washington. In, and is it, is it old-timey looking? Yeah, it is. 1968. I went through a phase in my late teens where I wanted a fake ID, and I didn't want it to go to bar, uh, in order to go to bars or buy alcohol. You I wanted to do the book of the month club. No, I wanted it because I wanted to be a spy that had fake IDs. <laughs> and I recognized... You wanted eight passports. Yeah, and I, you know, I'd read the... the, uh, the anarchist cookbook and i i recognized that we were you know in the in the late 80s at a time where you could still get into a fake identity because it was pre global computers you recognize that you were like wow global computers still being about 20 30 years away i did because in alaska at the time you could in the absence of a birth certificate, provide a baptismal certificate as a proof of identity. And baptismal certificates were blank ones, were for sale at the religious supply store, the Bible store. And now they're selling empty vaccination cards. So they, <laughs> yeah. they have a full line of product at those Christian bookstores. Yeah, nobody nobody thought, like, go to the Christian bookstore and buy a big stack of, of uh, prescription pads. And so I got a hold... Yeah, there's a Venn diagram of people that want a fake ID and a Venn diagram of people who know what's for sale in... Um, in uh, Christian bookstores. Turtle Dove books or whatever. And I was that, I was that 17-year-old. And so I bought some uh, baptismal certificates. I filled them out, you know, very careful to make my handwriting look like that of a priest. 
What, what does that consist of? Well, again? that's the thing. They're ridiculous looking because it was kind of, I tried to do like a like, floor. Like gothic? Yeah. Like a monk <laughs> illuminating a manuscript? But then I did the thing where I tried to artificially age the document. And I had a whole, you know, I dipped it in coffee. I singed the edges with a lighter. <laughs> and these things were so ridiculous looking. I want to watch a version of the Mark Hoffman documentary, but it's you trying to age your forged documents. Yeah, and eventually I chickened out. I didn't want to go down to the DMV and say, hey, man, I lost my birth certificate, but, you know, I need an Alaska driver's license. And at the time, the Alaska driver's license was just an actual photograph that you took at the at the copy shop. This is pre-Kinko's. That then they laminated and sure. you know, into a driver's license. So the whole process, I think if I'd gotten into it, if I'd gotten a fake birth certificate, then Yeah, that was the time to like find exactly. I think that's a common thing you or that's how you do that. You find someone who died young or yep. something, but yep. still, they still have records extant. And then you say, Yeah, I just need uh yeah, I'm 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 Jason, I need his records. And I could have done it when I was seventeen because I wouldn't have had a credit rating, I wouldn't have owned anything, I wouldn't You could get a social security number for this new guy. That's right. And I should have done it now. Now I regret not having five passports. I think about it every morning when I wake up. How every, many passports do I have? One. Like a loser. Like a loser. Every time I watch that mash where Hawkeye makes up a fake dude, I'm like, that could have been me. That could have been me. And I, I missed it. I missed my chance. Do you know where your birth certificate is? I have like a fake one. I mean, not a fake one, like a cool one, but like I had to, I needed one for something and I'm sure my parents have it somewhere, but I just had to have the state of Washington reprint one. And so you get this thing that's on kind of official looking paper with like, color gradations that they think you can't do in a color copier. But it's got a dot matrix. But exactly. Yeah. So it's kind of the vibe of one of those things you print out from the mall that tells you other celebrities that share your birthday or whatever, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or like, or a horoscope or something. But that's actually what my birth certificate is now that, that I would have to provide this kind of goofy looking, um, like, I don't know, what does it look like? The, the color gradation makes it look like I've, I've gotten an award from yeah, right. scholastic book fair or something what keeps you i mean the problem is at, at our age to go in somewhere and produce a forged birth certificate they would say well where's your like how did you get to be 50 years old and not have a social security number yeah and they'd be exactly right to yeah, ask that question that's right i would say you're right you're exactly right I was, I'm trying to get a fake identity. <laughs> you need someone. Can you help me out here? <laughs> you need someone who was two years old and died, but had a social security number already. So that's our lesson to young people. Don't miss your window when you can create some fake identity to get the man off your back. Um, nations have birth certificates too, of course. Uh, oh, that aren't municipalities. Uh, like if you're if you're in the nation of Tonga, you don't have like different birth certificates for your different counties. I'm, presumably that's true. But what I mean is that metaphorically, nations have their own birth certificates as well. What do you mean? Is that a tattoo or what, what do you mean? It would be a, found, a foundational document. You're talking about France. Yes. Has a birth certificate. Except does France, what would France's birth certificate France. even be? A cookbook? Yeah, somebody gives you a, a bottle of Chablis. I think when I went to the Library of Congress and they had um, they had just paid like a million dollars or ten million or whatever it was for um, the first map of the world that had uh, the New World labeled as America, the thing at the top said America's birth certificate because this was you know kind of this was the baptismal certificate. This was yeah. the docu the document that had christened us 
America. Some right. some unknown scribe. It didn't say a had, contract with America. No, the, the contract <laughs> with America is not on display. Although there, at some point it will be, right? There will be some Smithsonian yeah. like the turbulent nineties, and there will be a little there will be a Gingrich animatronic. And it'll just be a loop of Clinton saying, I did not have sex with that woman, like over and over on a, on a little screen. But, but, uh, but is this, uh, did this map say Amerigo Vespucci or did it actually identify the continent as America? It actually said America, um, kind of, if I recall right in the Northern part of South America and the Western coast of South America is actually quite accurate, which is mysterious because it seems like nobody would have been there at the time this map was made, but. But the U.S. government paid big, big money, I think not your taxpayer money, I think um, finding corporate partners right. or wealthy weirdos who to, owned, to buy the map. Who owned the map? Uh, it had not been, um, it was believed there were no original copies left and then one was like found in a garret in a in a Prussian castle or something, some very exciting, <gasps> that is exciting. recent thing. And, uh, and now it's a big, big exhibit at... The Library of Congress, and that's how you imagine these foundational documents being stored. Um, you know, all in uh, titanium and aluminum cases with round-the-clock guards and electric eyes and glass that Catwoman can't make a little circle in, and right. argon gas instead of oxygen on the inside. You know, argon. something that literally, yeah, they put in argon because it's a noble gas that reacts with nothing, and therefore the paper will never change and the ink will never fade. So you're talking about the 1507 Waldsee Mueller map of America. That's exactly what I'm talking the about. The Waldsee Mueller. I don't know if it's still labeled this way, but when I saw the exhibit, it said America's birth certificate on it in big, in big letters. When when was the last time uh, you went to Washington D.C. and looked at all the things? Mm, it's probably been about ten years. I was there probably five years ago, six four, four years ago, and we went around and looked at all the things. It's good to see the things. Yeah, the guy, the 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 security guard at, that was guarding the Constitution, he was a colorful character. Boy, he had a lot of funny things to say. It's because you had a kid with you, probably, right? Yeah. Or yeah, yeah. or is it because you're the dad that's always starting conversations yeah. with with elevator operators? Both things. I was like, "Say there, fellow. Say there, good good fellow. Well met." And he was like, "Hardy har." Yeah. So we expect that uh, that's where a nation would keep its founding documents in a in a tasteful case. Um, in fact, as we'll see, the U.S. has not lived up to that uh, standard for much of the life of our republic and our museums. But our story begins in the idyllic island nation of Fiji mm. on October 10th, 1970. Cast your mind back. John, you were, you were a year and a half old. Mm-hmm. Probably not in Fiji. No. Have but you been to Fiji? I have not. I've been nowhere in the South Pacific. I uh, mean, me either. Although, it sounds good, though. My daughter's mother has been to Fiji. Is it? Does she like it? She said it was amazing. She said she stayed in a in a place which was a kind of hut that was on um, stilts out in the ocean. And you could look down through the hole in the floor and see the beautiful blue azure sea. It was a glass-bottom boat, but you slept in it. Yeah, and it, was made, it wasn't glass-bottom. It was... Reed bottom. Ooh. Mm, yeah. Different. Uh, I hope it's like a, those load bearing reeds. No. Oh. I think that, I think probably code is a different thing. It's funny that, you know, we think of these little islands dotting Polynesia and Melanesia and Micronesia as, I mean, I'm sure we admire their cultures to the degree we think of them, but mostly we think of them as, um, 
luxurious and yeah. idyllic Edenic getaways for wealthy white people. And we think of it as just a perfect world. And it's interesting how different the 19th century perception of those islands were. Fiji was avoided for decades by ships because of its reputation as just a, a dangerous abode of cannibals. Oh. You know, what we would now see as a as a friendly people with an idyllic life offering us to share, you know, I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's shaped by modern tourist industries and the legacies of colonialism and all the rest. Well, Trader Vicks and, and World War II also. Yeah, and, know, yeah, exactly. A lot of sailors ended up in those We've places. still never done the tiki culture omnibus entry, but no, it's, it's coming. It is, and that, that's a, it's a fascinating one. Yeah, um, I think Fiji appears in Moby Dick precisely as a place where... Fiji was definitely here be dragons. Yeah. Don't go there. This is where the cannibal kings live, and you're going to be in a big pot, um, like in a Popeye cartoon. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the situation when Great Britain made it a crown colony. Oh, I thought it was French. Oh, that's, that's Tahiti. Yeah, Fiji, um, when, once, it was, once it was colonized, it was by the British. To this day, the flag has a little Union Jack in the upper left. But on October 10th, 1970, it was a party in the capital city of Suva. Everyone was holding feasts. Um, there's laughter laid into the dusk. Uh, you can imagine the scent of hibiscus or mm-hmm. bougainvillea or whatever it is, mm-hmm, is, mm-hmm. is heavy in the tropical air. Thousands are on the streets celebrating the birth of a nation. Uh, Fiji has been granted independence by Great Britain. Um, the f- this is part of the the, the offshoring of colonies that Britain started the in the dismantling 60s? of Britain that I don't really remember much except you know I think of 1997 in Hong Kong as kind of a one of a kind event but really it wasn't it was just the end of a century or no half century half century after World War II of, of divesting the empire of its empire um, Fiji was one of the first places that the sun rose on the British Empire in the time the sun never set just because of its location just to the east of the international dateline uh, and on October 9th, 1970, the Union Jack came down for the last time. And the following morning, in a ceremony, the, the new sky blue flag of Fiji rose over an audience of dignitaries. So there was a night where there was oh yeah, no one governed Fiji. For 12 hours, who was running Fiji? Whoa. We need to get to the bottom of this. Bacchanalia. See, that was a missed opportunity for you to, for you yeah. to fly down. Sure, get in there and get, get some uh, birth certificate. It was, you know, in 19, two-year-old John could not have become the next Dalai Lama, but you could have become the first prime minister of Fiji. Hmm. Um, all you need is a flag, right? Isn't that the Eddie Izzard routine? You just need to plant your flag there, and uh, they're between flags. Sky blue flag. And the vibe, I think, was very much like the Hong If you remember the Hong Kong thing where there's a lot of pageantry, representatives from Her Majesty's government are there, the local uh, government is there. And it's all very cordial, you did, know? Did a ton of people from Fiji move to Vancouver, Canada? <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, yeah, that's kind of the funny thing about watching that Hong Kong event is it's also like, yay, we, we love our, we say farewell to the people we love and we welcome a new era, which we also love equally. But in fact, I mean. They were just. All, all those emotions. Like, no, nobody has both those feelings at once. <laughs> either you're, either you're worried about, terrified of the new government or you're, um. You're glad to see the Europeans out, but um, but they cover that over with a lot of dancing school children, you know, sure. and and ribbons, and that's what's going on in Fiji in October 1970. Um, 
Prince Charles is there in mm-hmm. uniform. Queen, oh. The Queen did not go to all these personally, but but this, you know, she sent the Prince of Wales. Yeah, anybody who's watched The Crown knows how good Charles in, a, in uniform looks. He's always on a BOAC jet heading somewhere to do something he doesn't want to do. That's right, standing on the deck of a, of a cruiser. Taking a break from the private school he didn't want to go to or whatever. Uh, and he reads a statement from Her Majesty uh, giving the history. They've chosen October 10th as the Independence Day because October 10th, 1874, was the date in which, according to Charles's statement, the chiefs of Fiji decided to cede their islands to, uh, to our great-great-grandmother, Queen Victoria, in exchange for all the protections and privileges that come with the British crown. So what a great opportunity these chiefs had. Sure. <laughs> to, to, to give up their country. Did they get British passports? Uh, well, the chiefs? Well, sure. If they, if they got all the protections and privileges of the English crown, did that include like yes. membership in a men's club in, in Mayfair? <laughs> well, some of them. I mean, the prime minister who is on the scene here in 1970 for the changeover, the newly elected new prime minister, is an Oxford-educated man with very severe glasses that make him look like a, you know, with the thick top part that makes yeah. him look like an IBM engineer. What are those called? Oh, well, they're, yeah, they're called uh, thick top part uh, yeah. IBM engineer glasses. Those. Yeah. And The bridge, the bridge of the glass. But, you know, those are, I, I wore those glasses for many years because they were, the kind that you got from social services. So in the early nineties, if you, if you needed free glasses, which I did, you could get those old, you know, they would pull them off the bodies yeah, of, the, uh, <laughs> of general electric executives glasses from the sixties that they still had in a box. So yes, they did have all the rights of British subjects. Um, unfortunately, you know, institutionally, I don't think the crown cared that much about individual Fijians half a world away, Sure, except that they wanted to make sure they waved at them when they visited. So, um, the new flag comes up, everyone claps. A fun detail about the ceremony is this, this, um, new incoming prime minister, Chief Sir Kami Sese Mara is six foot four, Whoa! which would make him considerably taller than Prince Charles. And as a result, during this whole ceremony, during the flag lowering ceremony, he is sitting on a mat, um, crisscross applesauce yeah. instead of up on the stand with the visiting dignitaries because he would be, his head would be higher than the sovereign in that case, Uh, which would not be allowed. That makes him seem like a beatific character, right? Like a super chill dude. Exactly. Like, uh, and so often in these cases where Britain had to give up a colony, there was uh, a beatific character in a robe making sure that it happened. That (laughs) seems to be true. (laughs) There's a tradition of that. Well, wait, did the, did the half of Fiji that was, that was Muslim split off in a violent upheaval? In fact, Yes. Whoa! So, I should say that there are fewer than nine hundred thousand people in Fiji even now. Fiji is a, a, a archipelago of eight hundred islands in Melanesia, just kind of northeast of New Zealand. Um, only about a hundred of them are inhabited. Oh, I was going to say that's about a thousand people per <laughs> island. <laughs> Most of them, and I'm sure the vast majority are on you know two or three islands, including the one where the, especially the one where the the capital is. Um, since independence in 1970, you would think there would be a chill South Pacific existence for Fiji, which, you know, there have been for quite a few of its, of its newly independent neighbors, but Fiji has had a turbulent half century. They had, uh, they have had four coups and one constitutional succession crisis, um, in the years between 1987 and the turn of the millennium. Hmm. And it's a result of a lot, as you might guess. As a, it's a result of um, 
the fact that they're still cannibal headhunters? No. Oh, good. No, it's a it's an aftershock from the years of uh, of British colonial rule. Sure. It, this reminded me. I read a when we did the recent entry about the um, the Togolese man in Greenland. Right. I read a review of the book, but I didn't realize till I got to the bottom that the review was by um, John Darbyshire. I should say that that uh, comment about the headhunters was ironic. Yes. I, I, I think I'm sure most of the reputation of uh, Fiji as a lair of cannibals was like most of those stories exaggerated by sailors desperate for attention back home. Yes. Bringing home walrus penis bones <laughs> to their wives in Bristol and making up stories about cannibal headhunters. How they were forced to take a Fijian wife by some <laughs> headhunter culture and not just. They don't wear tops, honey. What could I do? The uh, no, this uh, our, this review I was reading of the Togolese man in Greenland was by John Darbyshire, who's like a national review guy, who's like kind of a I think a eugenicist weirdo. Uh-huh. And the whole article was just about how uh, his take about the Togo guy in Greenland was just a a real stirring rebuke to all the the so called intellectuals and in independent Togo. Like all of West Africa's problems are clearly the result of all these uppity Africans now in charge. <laughs> Which seems like a funny default take on West Africa to have. Yeah. I can think of some reasons why there might be problems in West Africa that have nothing to do with the snooty, the snooty Sorbonne educated intellectuals there. Wait, my he was he was taking uh he was taking umbrage at the fact that this uh, Togolese had made it all the way to Iceland. That that was he was above his station. No, I think just whatever his review of the book was, it ended with um uh, uh, just a these crazy Marxists in summarily, Africa summarily dismissing all of. I know one thing about Africa. It's right. bad now that the that the natives took over. Right. Anyway, so what I'm saying is don't bother reading John Darbyshire's review of <laughs> an African in Greenland. Why was I saying that? Oh, right. Um, so these uh, islands, you know, while under British rule, there, you know, there's maybe a hundred inhabited islands that never thought of themselves as having a shared culture or shared nationhood. Oh, isn't so, that interesting? So even though these are just dots in the Pacific, it's the same problem Britain had when it just tried to draw big lines of latitude in the Middle East and divide up countries that way. Right. Like you're... You're giving independence to a country that, before being a crown colony, never would have thought of itself as a country. Although they did have somewhat of a shared Polynesian language, right? I mean, the the difference it was a it was the narcissism of minor differences, in the sense that they seemed to they they felt like they were separate countries only because they didn't have exposure to truly separate countries. Right, but there's just not the cultural glue you would expect. Of course, there it's it's a little. It's a tight-knit island culture. Of course they would be independent. Well, actually, right. they don't think of themselves that way. Well, like Hawaii, right? Hawaii was united under Kamehameha? No, united under Kamehameha's grandfather? Sure. I don't know. I, I should know. If his grandfather was also named Kamehameha, those were both correct. It was Kamehameha. Oh, good. Or possibly his grandfather of the same name. Yes, right. <laughs> uh, and then a couple other things happened under British rule that turned out to be ticking time bombs for Fiji. First of all, um, the first governor. Syphilis. No, well, probably, but no. The first governor general there, I think in the late 1890s, made the well intentioned policy that land sales were illegal. And I think the idea was this was part of his Fiji for the Fijians policy. He didn't want big um, real estate European companies coming in and buying up all the real estate. But this is scary for the, for the anti Marxists. <laughs> Well, it's uh, it, in practice, it turned out to be trouble in the 20th century because to this day, these laws hold, oh. and lands can only be leased and not sold. 
And this became ethnically tricky in the late 20th century because in the early 20th century, all the sugar cane plantation owners, I guess it was originally they gave cotton a try, and when that didn't work, it became sugar cane. All the sugar plantation owners, who again were leasing their land because of British crown policies, brought in a ton of indentured servant labor from India. Oh. So they brought in a new they brought in a new class of of uh, of person to Fiji, indentured servants who, you know, you could work for 5 years on the on the plantation and then you could send yourself home. If you work for 10 years, we'll send you home at our expense. Um, you know, life's not great, but you know, you choose between people who had it worse at home in South Asia. Right. So suddenly, uh you have this new class of of uh, Indian Indo-Fijians who have kids who multiply, um, who have tension with the locals who are, you know, the indigenous people not used to a big group of outsiders, especially when this new group turns out to be your prototypical thrifty, industrious, merchant immigrant class that uh, begins to build up generational wealth and by the late 20th century pretty much controls the commercial sector on your islands. Right. So now Fiji is like 60% kind of chill indigenous people and 40% um, bustling immigrant culture. And the latter cannot buy land from the former because of all these British land use policies. Whoa. So all this leads to, even at the time that independence was granted by the Queen in 1970, it was already called the Cyprus of the Pacific because of the looming, wow. looming possibility for ethnic strife on a little island. And so, are the uh, the the Indo Fijians? Did they maintain their uh, Hindu culture in Fiji? Is it part of? Is it a is it a diaspora that kept separate? It sounds like I believe the Indo Fijians are largely Hindu. Uh, the few I know are not. Wait, um, you know some Indo Fijians? Yeah, I knew some Fijians in Seattle, but they I, like I, for one thing, I went to church with them, so they weren't Hindu. Oh, I see. But secondly, they were all um, they didn't have Polynesian names; they all had South Asian sounding names. Um, and it was only in getting to know them that I kind of learned the history of the divisive eth- uh, you know, ethnic problems on Fiji as a result of the colonial era. And oh, in fact, wow. I think the reason why I knew a few of them in Seattle is because there has been a mass exodus of some of these Indo-Fijians out of Fiji due to the, the strife instability. Yeah, like the, that's funny, the very first coup in 1987 um, overthrows Queen Elizabeth II. She's been deposed as Queen of Fiji. Oh, because the they were government. Commonwealth, even though they were independent. So that's the thing. So in the, when Prince Charles is giving the speech, he reads a statement from Queen Elizabeth II, and as the new flag comes up, her first speech is, I am happy to address you as Queen of Fiji. So her first statement is, by the way, I'm still your queen. Huh. It's like a Hamilton song, because they're going to join the Commonwealth of Nations, and I'll be part of this um, this rich rainbow coalition of... Uh, of of Britain all over the world who all still love our queen. With not quite all the rights and privileges of the crown, but she's still on the money. Exactly. Still on the money. Um, and so when the first coup comes in 1987, it deposes Queen Elizabeth II. Huzzah! Um, she is quickly reinstated by a counter coup. I'm sure she was terrified of having right. lost her throne. Right. Was she in the Tower of London? Fiji? <laughs> Where is it? I have lost my Fijian rights. Um... In other, you know, the, the constitutional crisis was a, you know, kind of a rough run with a suspension of elections that got the 
that went on for years and eventually got them kicked out of whatever the South Pacific version of, of, of NATO or the OAS is. I think it's the Pacific Island states or something. And the Commonwealth of Nations suspended oh. Fiji recently oh. because their current naval strongman guy was saying, eh, elections, you know, maybe next year. So it's a military coup. You, you wouldn't think of Fiji having the most muscular military. Yeah, that's uh, the current prime minister is a military man. And these coups are, you know, it's on a smaller scale because I'm sure the Fijian Navy is about what you're imagining. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, these are, these are coups brought with military force. Uh, and always with a shade, and always with an uh, element of um, you know there was a fragile balance for many years where um, to keep the peace, the indigenous Fijians and the Indo Fijians had agreed that despite their population differences, they would each elect a similar number of people to parliament, and then there would be a very small number of uh, of like Joe Manchin type uh, uh, swing voters. They would be elected by people who are neither Fijian or Indo-Fijian, whoever that is. I don't even know. Leftovers from the colonial era, maybe. Um, And that's how power would be kept. But, you know, that was a very fragile balance. And there would be, hey, this isn't one man, one vote at all. And so you'd get a coup that way. And then, you know, all the moneyed Indo-Fijians would be like, uh, hey, we run this place. And then you get a coup going the other way. There also, I mean, there's an awful lot of tribalism in Indian diaspora. So it's not like like people from India are any kind of monoculture. Yeah, I don't know what kind, how much of a unified culture they would be, but certainly the indigenous culture was not a monoculture, um, right? Because of the many, many islands represented, some of them pretty far flung. And by when the when the Indian population was brought there initially, colonial India included Pakistan and Bangladesh and a lot of Muslim areas. So some and, are Muslim, yes, yeah. even though the majority are are Hindu. John, Native has your back. What? Which is a weird thing to say about say a company that makes things you put in your armpits. They should have your back and your front and your sides. I think they do. I think Native has all those things, or they are there to shelter my front, back, and sides yeah. uh, with their products. Yeah, we've talked about their aluminum-free deodorant, but Native is no longer an armpit-only uh, boutique. They have body wash, they have toothpaste, and sunscreen. Those are all things you could put on your back. I mean, I don't know why you'd put toothpaste on your back, but it's a free country. I have uh, I have begun uh, re- begun using their body wash because I realized that my like old fashioned preference for bar soap was creating a situation in my tubs, in my two bathtubs, of these sticky, constantly wet, never dried out fancy soaps, and you get slugs. I didn't want them, so I switched to body wash, and it's a you know. I, I I doubted the technology, but now I believe in it. Native makes uh, unscented body washes if you're not into scent. If you do like uh, amazing scents, you can get coconut and vanilla deodorant and body wash, citrus and herbal musk, lavender and rose. Oh, see, those are those are wonderful, and they're all you know they're they're light scents. They're not overpowering. They sell like gift sets where you can get three different scents and get a rotation going. Why can, not treat you, treat yourself? You can build your own personalized product bundles. Mix and match three of your favorite scents and keep them on rotation so you have something 
for every occasion. That's kind of what I just said, except I rephrased it and you just read the sponsorship. Thing. That's right. I read the thing because uh, it, feel, it felt like you were getting a little too I was dancing script. around it. You know what? We've, we've, uh, we've personalized these ads so much now that it starts to be, uh, it's too much. I want to get back to brass tacks. What we should do is every time we should make a transcript of the ad we read last month and then try to do it from that so it becomes a game of telephone as the copy mutates through the months until it, you can no longer tell the native ad apart from the yeah, some other the ad. other sponsors. I want the people who run Native to know that we support their product and not uh, and not feel like we're just you know playing do it, fast. Doing a loose. fun little skit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I want the I want the the uh, the futurelings who are listening to be satisfied by our endorsement of the product, but I also want Native the company to feel like we are doing a good job. I'm doing like ad. a little improv over here, and you're like, Ken, you're a narcissist. That's right. It's not all about you. Just read the copy. Let's get let's get uh, serious now and say stay fresh and stay clean with Native by going to Native Dio. And now this is where you really need to pay close attention because it's not Native.com. It's Native D-E-O, short for deodorant. That's what the kids call deodorant now. Yeah, hey, Dio. Hey, bud, you were in Dio? Hey, man, I got this cool Dio, this Native Dio. Let's make a Dio. So it's NativeDio.com slash Omnibus. And or use promo code Omnibus at checkout and get 20% off your first order. Again, that's nativedeo.com slash Omnibus. Then use promo code Omnibus at checkout and you'll get 20% off your first order. Smell better. So some of this ethnic strife may help to explain why in the year 2010, if you, if you were keeping score at home or even if you're alone, you'll know that's 40 years since the Queen granted independence. So they want to celebrate the 40th anniversary of a free and independent Fiji. And one of the things they want is the original independence order that Charles delivered from Her Majesty and from Parliament uh, granting independence. Oh, but they can't find it. Unfortunately, since the year 2005, according to Ms. Celicia Ikaniwai of the uh, Fijian National Archives, it has turned up missing. Uh, Ms. Ikaniwai and her... Hardworking staff have spent the last five years scouring government offices for the independence order. It was there. It's not like Charles crumpled it up and threw it Wouldn't that be over funny his shoulder. If he's just like pranking the Fijians because he's so checked out like he is on the crown. <laughs> so they had it and then someone came in in the dark of night and stole well, away with uh, it. Remember, four coups and a and a oh. and a troubled presidential succession crisis. Right. Um, I'm sure none of that helped. And it's hard to point to when exactly it happened. But sometime before 2000, because in 2005, they were like, we might need that in 2010. Where is that? Oh, sure. And as planning began for their big 40th anniversary blowout, nobody could find the piece of paper. Somebody had it in a frame in their home office. You kind of wonder what, I mean, when I think of all the papers that have disappeared from my home. I mean, a lot of them do turn up later in big giant Tupperwares in the garage. <laughs> oh, I thought or, you were going to say university archives. Some of them turn up say, in my, slow down. Some of them turn up when I donate <laughs> my collection to Dartmouth or my letters. Unfortunately for me, I have every piece of paper that I've ever touched. See, that's great. All of my, all of my, you would uh, never lose your Amtrak ticket stubs. And I have a hard time when any, if it has any kind of like good Marie Kondo memory attached, because yeah. I'll pick up some Oyster card I had when I visited London in 2006, and I will be like, wait, this actually does bring me joy. Yeah. I have to keep this useless piece of crap. The Mark Kondo motto fails when all nostalgia brings you joy. Huh? Yeah, my Natsen uh, phone network phone card from that I got in a Nebraska truck stop 
you know, in 2003, I can't get rid of that. And you're not thinking, this might come in handy. You're thinking... Well, it probably still is- has $4. <laughs> <laughs> My guess is that expires. I, really? I, I I had a Metro card that I found that was like a decade old, and it turned out yeah. the, uh, the three trips or whatever were gone from... Yeah, that's how they get you. So the BBC article I read on this, you know, it doesn't... It doesn't sneer or snicker, but it does consult legal experts. What is the uh, legal ra- what are the legal ramifications for a country that has lost its founding documents? Does Fiji still have sovereignty if it can't produce an independence order? And the answer, predictably, is yes. You know, none of a country's existence hinges on being able to produce a nice declaration. Um, as long as the community of nations has a history of treating it like it has sovereignty, right? Um, nobody's going to, they don't ask for your, you don't show up at the UN every year and get asked to recertify, recertify that the Queen Elizabeth is still chill with you being there. Right. But you could conceivably like forge your, uh, forge your baptismal certificate and claim you'd been independent since 1962. You could, luckily this is not a constitution where, um, Frank Biney Marama could say, no, actually, this says we only have to have elections if the prime minister says so, because nobody can produce the original document. Uh-huh. You know, there have been constitutional crises in Fiji since then, but it's really just been a matter of redrafting, not of cannot produce the original document. In this case, uh, the Fijian government had to go to the government of Her Majesty. They had to go to the UK and say, hey, do you guys have a photocopy of, of, the, of the document oh, you gave us? embarrassing. And the British said, well, we'll consult the National Archives in Kew. Uh, I guess Kew, outside London, where the botanical gardens are, is also the home of uh, Her Majesty's National Archives. Oh, but they were really making them twist in the wind. Well, we'll see if we have that. We'll, hmm. uh, you guys wanted to be independent, huh? Well, we'll call you. Uh, no, I'm sure they were very polite. The whole sure. the whole fiction of the Commonwealth of Nations is that we are now peer nations. Yes. That uh, Rhodesia is no better or worse than us <laughs> in London. Uh, London. And, um, yeah. And in fact, this is interesting, six, only six months earlier, uh, in early 2010, when this confession was made to the British National Archives, A Duke University student named Julia Gaffield was in the National Archives in Kew, and she happened to be researching Caribbean history. She was researching Jamaica. An an American who presumably has a Rhodes Scholarship. Yeah. She's some kind of American abroad. I would not be surprised if she were a Rhodes Scholar or, you know, doing some other kind of Oxbridge study. But she's doing historical research on the Caribbean and finds in the Jamaica file misplaced the what? Declaration of Independence, not, this is not of Fiji. She finds the Declaration of Independence of Haiti, which had been lost since 1804. You know, that's the second oldest Declaration of Independence in human sure. existence. Haiti being the second country in the Western Hemisphere. It was just tucked inside a book? Or? Somebody misfiled it with the Jamaican stuff. Oh, well, uh, easy to mistake, you right? Know, it's just one, one of, of those, those islands, islands down there. I'm, yeah. And I'm sure it happened in an era when somebody really was saying, oh, what's the big deal? It's right. one of those islands. And... Uh, so since 1804, Haiti had not, so Haiti got uh, its its historical Declaration wow. of Independence back. I bet it had been dipped in coffee and had its en- <laughs> edges uh, burned with a thick lighter. Didn't need it. Um, and the desk and the the same National Archives in Kew were happy to provide a photocopied Independence Order number whatever to provide to Fiji, which they now has give to them make the do- original. Why why wouldn't they give them the original? Well, presumably Fiji had the original. They're giving a now they're oh. giving a photocopy of their co- copy. It's like, you know, 1970, everything was done in triplicate. 
The canary one is for Her Majesty. The pink, right. the salmon one is for Parliament, and the the fuchsia one is for uh, the the Crown Colony. You know, when I when I bought my house, the sellers, the children of the recently deceased owners, sent me these wonderful photocopies of the architectural drawings, probably ten or fifteen, big, 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 you know, th- three feet across. And after a couple a couple of weeks of poring over them, I said, "Hey, wait a minute." That means you have the original photocopies of this house that I now own. Why would you keep them? <laughs> and I Did sent you ask? The, I yeah, I sent them an email like, "Are you keeping those for sentimental reasons or why wouldn't you just Do you give, want to know secret ways into my house? Yeah, give me those and I got no reply. So. <laughs> what what's your worst case scenario? What they they know now where all the secret passageways are? No, my worst case scenario is just that the that the brother, there's two sisters and a brother and the brother lives in the Midwest somewhere and is kind of a grouser. He's like a meh. And that he's just, he's just got him tucked under his bed just to spite me. Cause I feel like the two sisters would have given him to me. The thing about being young is when you have these, uh, contretemps or whatever they are, they're with other young people who are unreliable, but they're not grouchy. Yeah. But as you get older, you increasingly have these kinds of conversations with people your age who are like you, cranks and grumps. Yeah. He's and, in his sixties. I'm in my fifties and we're arguing over some, some architectural drawings from the 1950s, but we're not even arguing about them. We're just grumping at each other. I had to get our, I was getting our landscaping plans out a couple of weeks ago. Cause I was, my mom wanted to know what kind of roadie we had, what kind of rhododendron we had. And so I had to go, I had to pour through our own. My mom uh, can tell you rolled up things. Can she tell just by looking? Yeah. There should be a spot or a Shazam app for rhododendrons. So you just hold it up and it tells you. What. I think there is. There actually is an app that will tell you what the plant is because it it managed to keep both my kids happy during a 90-minute trip to the Golden Gate Park Botanical Gardens earlier this summer. And my son was just going bananas like it was Pokemon because because it, it very cleverly treats it like an acquisitional thing. Like, guess what? You've just added... Uh, Oh. Uh, Vietnamese bamboo to your uh, plant wallet or whatever. He was just he was just taking pictures of plant he leaves. He was going bananas. Got to oh. got to catch them all. Oh, that's wonderful. And it was often wrong. So we were trying to figure out what's it seeing here, where it thinks that's a banana leaf and not a hibiscus. You know, because this being a botanical garden, stuff was labeled. Yeah, right. So you could tell how accurate the stuff was, and it was right. You know, two thirds of the time. But. I think those might be getting better all the time. My my again, my mom has one that she's always finding. She's always. <laughs> adding a plant to her plant wallet. It's just terrifying facial recognition software from an Adam Curtis documentary, but for, for, for flowers. Right. So it's cute. You're never going to have Adam Curtis come on and be like, but then something very strange began to happen. I just traded my iPhone 8 for an iPhone 10, and I'm trying to get used to having a phone without a button, uh, and I don't like it. I have held out with the... I, I miss the button you can actually press. I have the fake button that jiggles your... Oh. That jiggles your electrochemical system. Oh, so you still have a button. I still have a button. I and, miss my button. And I miss the actual button. I get the weird haptic button. And my kids all have the no button, and I'm like, nope. Yeah. Not for me. No, I don't trust it at all. In my age, we had 60 buttons. I'll come down to one for you, for Gen Z. Yeah. But I'll be damned if I'm going from one to zero. Yeah. Um, now, I said earlier that the U.S. was not blameless in this regard. You know, famously, our national documents are entirely safe unless Nicolas Cage uh, comes for them, unless unless Nicolas Cage is in the building. Mega tsunami. What about the mega tsunami? Mega tsunami sends the big wall of water up the Chesapeake Bay, up the Potomac, after, you know, when the Canary Islands explode. 
it's true that like uh, the, um, you know, if you imagine the Declaration of Independence or, or the Constitution, or you're imagining that rotunda yeah. at the National Archives. But maybe they're in their argon, sure argon gas cubes and they'll just float away. Well, I mean, that place does seem super safe against Catwoman. Yes. But is it safe against like nuclear explosion on the mall? No. No, no, no. no. It'd be elect- it would be uh, vaporized. So now that I think about it, that's insanely unsafe that we just leave those things in a lobby open to mega tsunami. Yeah, they should be under a mountain in Colorado that's somewhere. A, and they probably are. I now believe. Uh, now that I think about it. They're like the Elgin marbles. They are. Um, and here's actually the deal. The Declaration of Independence that's there, it is the um, it is what's called the parchment copy. You know, because we... I don't want to throw any shade at Fiji, but we took care of our parchment copy, except we didn't. That was the one that was signed by John Hancock and the other members of the Continental Congress. Oh, it's got the real signatures on it. Yep, on that famous date... August 2nd. <laughs> <laughs> 1779. Uh, it was, you know, all those signatures, be, the parchment copy was not produced and signed until a month, a-, a full month after the vote on independence, which took place on July 2nd. And who hand wrote it? Does the record show? The, so the, the, okay, here's what's going on. The parchment copy we have is called the Matlack Declaration because it was written by a man named Matt, Timothy Matlack, I believe, who was the... Uh, you know, he was the country lawyer from TBS. And he's, no, that's uh, Matlock. He he's the scribe yes, he of was, it. He was the clerk. I see. Who 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 produced a parchment copy? I think they maybe they asked, "Hey, we need a nice one of these." They went to the mall shop that does that. Kind of like me with my nib pen trying to fill out my baptismal certificate. Make it fancy. That's right. But even though you would think, "Hey, this is the nice one we display." In fact, that one had an extremely hard life. It got shuttled around from the Library of Congress to Independence Hall in Philadelphia. It spent, I think, the better part of a century just on some stairs or across from some stairs in bright sunlight. So, um, just in a frame, just sitting there. Yeah. Just on a wall with the ink fading and fading because we must've known a little, I mean, we had old papers then, but there wasn't a science of, of, uh, preservation and restoration the way there is now. So it's real. even though this is the parchment copy we display, it's in bad shape from us just treating it like crap for, a couple centuries. I've seen it. It looks like crap. And it is not the one that was voted on. Again, the original vote was a month earlier in, on July 2nd. And that was just on seven sheaves of notebook paper? So that was what was called the fair copy. Thomas Jefferson, uh, we have two drafts in his hand of different early versions of the Declaration. One is fragmentary and one is pretty complete. Cool. Those both exist. And one was found in like the 1940s. Like we found an earlier declaration draft in the 40s Whoa. those are both still around in jefferson's hand but the fair copy which is uh histor- history attests jefferson did write out the whole text one in the course of human events and so forth that was the one that congress voted on on july 2nd and john adams famously writes abigail or maybe is this jefferson i think it's john adams writes you know for centuries hence there will be parades and turkey dinners and firecrackers shall be lit on the 2nd of July to commemorate this great Independence Day. The famous turkey dinners of July 2nd. Because he does not anticipate that um, we will not celebrate the vote on independence, but we will actually celebrate the approval of the wording of the document on July 4th. The beginning of a nation of lawyers. We did not <laughs> enshrine the independence vote. <laughs> we enshrined the date that the wording all got approved. So can't we tell... Isn't there enough handwriting analysis involved that we can tell if the first one was actually written by Jefferson? That's the problem. The fair copy what? is gone. 
we are Fiji in bum, this story. Bum, bum. So we have the two fragmentary or early drafts. The fair copy, the one that got voted on, may not have survived 1776. It was sent to the printer so that the printer could make broadsides so that every member of the Continental Congress could have his own version to consult if, say, the South Carolina guy wants to get rid of... Uh, the slavery clauses. <laughs> right. Um, so they all want to have their own version of the wording. And apparently it, it seems quite likely that the fair copy did not survive the printer. That did, w- is it printed? Mm-hmm. Are there any copies of the print? Yes. I mean, after the mat, so after the handwritten Matlack declaration was um, signed by John Hancock at Al, uh, you know, a bunch of other early broadsides are made and there's, a, you know, maybe a hundred or more of those were made. There's a few dozen extant. Everybody knows which university library has them. They're, they are prized. But, you know, if somebody could produce the fair copy in Thomas Jefferson's um, handwriting, you know, that's considered basically, that would be the holy grail of America. That would be the, the single most valuable historical artifact in American history because it's believed to be gone. Paging Antiques Roadshow. Yeah. Hey, I I seem to have a copy of the Declaration of Independence in Thomas Jefferson's handwriting. Is this worth anything? Yeah, it was my grandfather's. He gave it to me along with this Chippendale vase. The tale of countries losing their founding documents you would hope would end with with Thomas Jefferson's fair copy in Fiji, but in I fact, I don't know if I can handle emotionally another example. This, of this. has really been a roller coaster for you. Yeah. A person who never throws anything away. <laughs> yeah. Um, in 2016, Kyrgyzstan was debating, um, changes to its constitution. When did it become independent? 1990? Yeah, Kyrgyzstan's been independent since the 90s, but it's, um, you know, it's had a series of new constitutions since then because it had a series of dictators. And then after, I think what's called the, you know, the Tulip, the, the series of Central Asian revolutions, the Tulip Revolution et al., um, it seemed like the most promising possible democracy. And yet... In uh, 2016, when they tried to amend their constitution, they tried to find the most recent version from 2010. Because they wanted to redline it? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, that's possibly true. The president then was the democratically elected president, Atambayev, but I think he did want to strengthen executive powers and possibly delay some elections. Uh-huh. Uh, and Oh, no, it, uh, these serial numbers are smudged. Uh... <laughs> it says we can have an election. It's either every four years or every 40 years. Let's say 40. <laughs> In this case, uh, the Justice Ministry was asked for a copy of the Constitution, and she said, well, the original, uh, the president has. And the presidential administration's liaison said, no, 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 uh, we think it's with the Justice Ministry. So there's a lot of, uh, no, you had it, no, you had it, back and forth, back and forth. And uh, in the end, Kyrgyzstan finally decided that there had actually never been a signed copy of its new constitution. Whoa. That they had just um, approved it by referendum after printing it in a newspaper. There was no photograph of anybody putting pen to paper. Nobody had signed a thing. So that's the future. You know, oh. it'll all be DocuSign. Yeah, right. When you, you, you know, you'll just click and then the words John Hancock will appear in that awful, <laughs> that awful cursive font. <laughs> and that concludes Fiji's Declaration of Independence. Entry 467.EC0306, certificate number 23621, in the omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that your constitution has been lost, but social media still exists in your era... Yeah, definitely paste your constitution into Facebook today. Yeah. Well, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram may be the only place that your foundational documents survive. 
especially if your foundational documents are like my tweets or right you know an instagram story of your ancestors cats that's probably more likely what it's going to be it's going to be a yeah a, a facebook harangue about vaccines will be the constitution of your personal nation all that stuff will be gone in the neutron pulse and it'll will just be an oral homeric history again it'll be people vaguely trying to remember how the constitution works which is exactly how america is today <laughs> zing <laughs> doing the neutron pulse uh, you can find Ken Jennings at Ken Jennings on all social media uh, platforms. Uh, you can find me at patreon.com slash John Roderick. Uh, I uh, would encourage you to write an email to us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. You can support our program at patreon.com patreon slash omnibusproject, which uh, is... Um, Kind of a, a, a wonderful mid-2020s way of supporting the thing you love best. Um, we've decided that there is no real future in advertising. There is no future. Really, money is pretend. But but send us your dog coin. Yeah, but patronage in the form uh, popularized in uh, 15th century Venice is, uh, is now ascendant. So go to patreon.com slash omnibus project. Those patrons got to keep the paintings though. Uh, you get to keep the paintings in the form of signed show notes mm. or, um, there's uh, your founding document. That's right. You can, you can get the show notes for this episode. I'm looking over at them. They appear to be on typewriter bond paper. Uh, it's on the back of, uh, Oh, some, some zoom recording instructions. Someone sent me. Oh, well done. Well, look at that. So you printed it out, and then you use the back of it for... I reduce, reuse, recycle, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for your Fiji. I always make sure when I'm doing an episode that I don't have, like, checking account numbers on the back oh, or right. something. I'm just sending it to some random I person. bought my daughter a bunch of spiral-bound notebooks to use as journals, and she does like I did when I was a kid. She writes on the first two pages and then throws the journal into a pile. So I have, you know... 18 spiral-bound notebooks that I've started using. So you'll get those crinkly spiral edges that your elementary school teachers yeah. hated, but you will love. Do you remember when I was doing it on yellow and pink paper? There are still those. Yeah, around, you, you sure. found them in a, uh, garage sales or something. Yeah, you would yeah. always buy good bond paper. Yeah, that was old old stuff. You Maybe know, I should use watermarks. nicer paper and we'll get we'll get more Patreon uh, support. Well, anyway, so those are, those are the equivalent of the Statue of David that you can re- <laughs> receive by, by uh, becoming a patron of Omnibus Project. You can hang out with other futurelings and hear their testimony about how supporting the show has improved the quality of their life. Uh, anywhere the word futurelings appear um, or appears, the word futurelings is 100% associated with our show. Is that right? There's no other futurelings on the web? I don't know. For now, when I Google. There's not some uh, some public utility in first Nebraska? all seems to be us. No, no, wait. There is a self-published Amazon India book called Nuking the Evil Futurelings, Guardians of the Dimensions, Book 2. You can get it free on your Kindle. This is fan fiction inspired by the film work of Johnny Depp. I am about to die. That is so wonderful. It kind of implies that... Oh, wait, it's only $0 if you have Kindle Unlimited. Otherwise, it's $76 to read Nuking the Evil Futurelings, colon, Guardians of the Dimensions, colon, Book 2. Well, if I were you, Futurelings, I would d- redirect that $76 to uh, patreon.com slash omnibusproject. 
Also, you can mail us a physical Dogecoin at P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. I don't know if this strictly counts as the mailbag because this was addressed to me by an Mm. author who um, wanted me to take a look at his new book. But I think this is so omnibus friendly that I will plug it now in addition to the blurb I'm going to send him. It's a a galley of his upcoming book, Naked Statues, Fat Gladiators, and War Elephants. Frequently Asked Questions About the Ancient Greeks and Romans, which has chapter titles like, Did They Jog or Lift Weights? Oh. Do they believe in ghosts? Was mm. divorce common? How tall were they? I love this book. How were animals captured for the Colosseum? I feel like this is very fertile omnibus fodder. Why did he not send two of those, one for me and one for you? You're not the only one that loves the ancient Greeks. Well, he's hoping I will blurb it, and then on the back it can be like, what a feast for the senses, Jeopardy's Ken Jennings. Yeah, I see. But I, I want to, you know, I'm reading, reading Ovid right now, and... Uh, uh, As you keep mentioning. <laughs> Have I mentioned it before? Yeah, you're metamorphosing oh. into a snob. Yeah, That's well, what you're metamorphosing into. Well, you know, if you have a book club, what is the? it's like being a fireman. You know, the only reason to be a fireman is to mention it at parties. I'm oh, uh, on Save Cats. I'm reading Ovid again. <laughs> <laughs> have I mentioned that I walked across Europe? And what did you? What, what were you going to say about your Well, I was going to say, if I knew whether or not they uh, worshipped elephants or sure. lifted weights, that would help, help me figure out why. Chapter 28 is titled, Were Gladiators Fat? Do you think that would help you uh, yeah. help, uh, appreci- uh, increase your appreciation of Ovid? I, I bet you that, well, see, that's Roman, though. Yes, but so is Ovid. Yeah, right. I but assume these are Roman gladiators. I guess they are Roman gods, but they're all Greek gods. I know, they just stole all the Greek gods. But you know, it was it would help me understand why uh you know, why Jupiter is so frolicsome. <laughs> Thank you, Garrett, for sending over a galley of your book. I'm gonna send you a quote and uh yeah, listeners should look out for Naked Statues, Fat Gladiators, and War Elephants on sale this year if you're into fun pop reference books and or classical history. Listeners, from our vantage point here in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We're already starting to lose our important papers, which maybe the dolphins took with them when they left. We hope and pray that the final catastrophe we fear may never come, but if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. <laughs>